One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Welcome Earnhardt in, Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here the podcast is we America. go. Thursday, February 25th, 2021, people. Does it feel like March yet? Because March is coming. This is the last episode of February. Uh, what's the old uh, uh, Game of Thrones meme? Winter is coming. Well, March is coming. And it started to feel like March basketball on Wednesday night. Couple games I want to get into. We will start Alabama, Arkansas, the game of the year in the SEC in terms of impact and meaning. It was number one versus number two in the league. Two top 20 teams. We will get into that, what it means for both programs. Very exciting win for Arkansas at home. From there, we will transition to the ACC, where I actually thought uh, a very interesting dynamic happened on. Wednesday night when Virginia and Florida State played back-to-back. Virginia looks really bad. Florida State looks really good. And I think we officially know who the best team in the ACC is. And frankly, the only team maybe capable of making a deep, deep run in the uh, NCAA tournament. I actually was on Nick Coffey's radio show on Wednesday morning. And we talked about just how bad the ACC stinks this year. But Florida State's awesome. We'll get into that afterward. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with a guest Oklahoma State head coach Mike Boynton and here's why I wanted to have coach Boynton on if you remember I had Mike Boynton on in June when Oklahoma State was given a one-year NCAA tournament ban and at the time I was very frustrated at the time I felt like the punishment did not fit the crime I won't relitigate it here but but basically what Oklahoma State was found guilty of was not warranting a one-year postseason ban and so now Oklahoma State is in a very interesting scenario where it appears as though the NCAA is not going to enforce that ban this year. The appeals process is ongoing, and knock on wood, it appears as though Oklahoma State, if they're worthy, is is going to be in the NCAA tournament. So I want to have Coach Boynton on just to kind of update us. Where are we? What is going on? And what is next for this program? Finally, I will come back on the back end uh, and talk a little bit about this weekend. Loaded, loaded, loaded slate starting on Thursday. I know many of you might listen on Friday, but Thursday night we got Iowa-Michigan in a top 25 matchup. Michigan State, Ohio State leading into a really fun weekend with all sorts of great games, whether it is uh, Florida, Kentucky, Louisville, Duke, Baylor, Kansas, Florida State, North Carolina, uh, on and on and on, LSU, Arkansas, a great, great, great slate of college hoops. So that will be on the back end, almost like a preview to get you ready for the weekend. But I do want to start Wednesday night. And I do want to start with what, as I said, was the game of the year in the SEC, Alabama-Arkansas. It was second place versus first place. It had the feel of a top 25, or not only a top 25 matchup, but really like a sweet 16 type matchup. And I I will be honest right off the top. It was a little bit disappointing the way that the refs hijacked this game. And any fan listening, uh, any SEC fan, because we have all a lot of them from all over the conference, Tennessee fans, Kentucky fans, Georgia fans, whatever, I think you know what I'm talking about, but it was a little bit of a disappointing effort from the SEC refs, 50 total fouls called in the game, 51 total free throws, and it hijacked in many ways what was a really, really, really fun game and a really, really, really fun matchup. With that said, I don't think it altered or changed the matchup. Arkansas was simply the better team 
Arkansas came out more prepared, more locked in, more focused. And I think we got to start talking about both these teams now. But we've been high on Alabama all year. I was a little bit ahead of the curve on them. And now it is officially time to start talking about Arkansas as a team that, uh, you know, they're going to be in the top 15 if they win this weekend. And we're looking at them as a 5-6-7 seed. You mean to tell me that they as a 5-6-7 seed can't pull an upset in round two and get to the Sweet 16 or beyond? Because I sure think they can. But let's start with the game on Wednesday night. And really what stood out to me and what has stood out to me about Arkansas all year is one thing. The defense is catching up with the offense. So this was a team, for people who have not watched them night in and night out, that has been very dynamic offensively. I mean, you go back to the first SEC game of the season, they put up 97 points at Auburn, struggled without Justin Smith, and they've been playing really well, which we'll get into in a minute. But when they have been fully healthy, they have not struggled to score the basketball. You just look at some of their results. Uh, you know, 86 points at Missouri in a win, 75 points against Florida the other day. But what has really stood out to me over the last couple games is that the defense is now catching up to the offense. You guys know I'm not a numbers guy. I'm not a metrics guy. I'm not an analytics guy. I like analytics. I don't let them determine all of my opinions. But just watching Arkansas, there appears to be a renewed sense of urgency on the defensive end. And I think it showed both in the victory over Florida last week, and then more importantly, against Alabama on Wednesday night. Alabama held to 37% shooting from, from the field, 33% shooting from three. Now, they still did hit 11 threes, but when you look at Alabama on the season, this is a team that statistically is one of the best three-point shooting teams in college basketball, 36-37%. Arkansas holds them below their average. Arkansas holds them as a team to 66% points and really that's where it starts for me with Arkansas is I think that I, I, I was always excited about this team's offensive potential but it's defensively where they have taken the next step and where they are evolving as a basketball program and a basketball team this year it's kind of crazy I think I just mentioned it but uh, Eric Musselman dating back to his days at Nevada was known as a team who's uh, a coach whose teams always thrived on the defensive end so it has been a little bit weird watching this team adjust often uh, be very good offensively and have to to adjust defensively but I want to go beyond the game and, and you guys know me I, I I never try to do small picture stuff right I never want to be well well this guy scored 19 points and, and 11 rebounds and the, the 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 ball screen defense was great like that's not what I do I'll give you a trend I'll give you a stat something that's important like the defense but I want to go big picture here existential deep dive and yes for listeners of the show that's the second time I've used the word existential because I used it with Sean Farnham on Wednesday's show but anyway I bring it up because what I want to say about Arkansas is a couple things first this is a team that you now officially need to watch out for come NCAA tournament time they are playing as well as anybody in college basketball they have now won eight of their last nine games their only loss ironically against Oklahoma State we're going to have Oklahoma State's coach on this show here momentarily but, uh, you know, they, they've won eight of nine. They've won eight straight SEC games. They've beaten tournament caliber teams, Alabama, uh, Florida. 
They beat Missouri on the road. And this is a team that has slowly started to build confidence over the course of the season. Now, I also want to give myself a little bit of credit here because I did say that during their losing streak when they started 2-4 and four in SEC play, I said, well, wait a second now. Their best interior player, Justin Smith, has not played, has not been healthy, came back at the end of that losing streak. And I said, let's see what Arkansas can do when they hit the bottom half of the league on the schedule and when they have a full roster. They opened with a brutal schedule that included at LSU, at Alabama, and at Tennessee early in the season. And when you don't have your best interior player, you're not going to be surprised when that team struggles. And so you fast forward, they've been healthy, and they're on a roll. I really do think, you know, I was talking to some people around the program, I really do think that win at Rupp Arena, which for the Kentucky fans listening, I know is going to make you pull your hair out, but I really do think that win at Rupp Arena was the game changer for them, and this is actually a credit and a respect to Kentucky, because I think anytime anyone wins at Rupp Arena, it gives you confidence as a program that you're trending in the right direction, even if it is uh, a, a Kentucky team that is not as good as it has been traditionally in the past. I think Alabama feels a lot of the same way of they got their credibility nationally when they actually went to Rupp and beat Kentucky, even if they weren't, uh, even if Kentucky isn't as good as normal. And I think Arkansas feels the same way. And so it's been kind of cool to watch Arkansas continue to build off of that win going from uh, losing games early in the season to beating bad teams to dominating bad teams to then beating good teams at Kentucky, who I think is playing well for the record at Missouri, build that momentum, which leads to a win like the Alabama win on Wednesday. More importantly, and this is really big picture, um, I think that, that this game in many ways was a preview of what the future of SEC basketball is going to look like. And what do I mean by that? Well, I think, look, Kentucky's always going to be in the mix at the top of the SEC. I still believe in Rick Barnes in Tennessee, even though it has been a frustrating year for the Vols. The Vols actually had another frustrating near loss on Wednesday. They did beat Vandy, but it was another ugly game. But what I think when you talk about the present and the future of this conference, I think it comes down to the two coaches and the two programs that we saw. Kentucky's always going to be there. Tennessee is going to be there. Auburn with Bruce Pearl, if they can get through sanctions, is going to be there. LSU, if Will Wade stays, is going to be there. But you talk about two programs on the rise, two programs with second-year head coaches. This ain't your grandpa's uh, college basketball where you need four years, you need to bring in your own players. No, these are two young, dynamic coaches that could be there for the foreseeable future and have these programs trending in the right direction. Starting with Arkansas. Listen, you guys know how I feel about Eric Musselman. I've been talking about uh, talking about him on this podcast since his days at Nevada. I've had him on this podcast since his days at Nevada. And what stands out to me is essentially Wednesday night confirmed what I told you was going to happen. And I hate to brag. You know it's not my style. You know it's not what I'm about. But here's the bottom line. The day that Eric Musselman was hired, I told you point blank, I called it a home run hire. I went back, I did a periscope the day he was hired, and I legitimately called it a home run hire because I truly believed it was a home run hire. And everything that I said that day has largely come true. And to take it a step further, Coach Muss has even done some things that I did not anticipate him doing as well, which includes recruiting at an elite level from the high school ranks. We knew he could get transfers, but get him from the high school ranks. But the reason I, I bring up, you know, I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back, but why I'm bringing it up is very simply this. I've been around college basketball a long time. 
I've seen a lot of programs up close and in person. And this is no disrespect to anybody else in college basketball. I have been in John Calipari practices that are really, really, really intense. I've been in practices at Indiana, at UCLA, at USC, at whatever. But what I will tell you is I have never been around a staff that is more locked in and dialed in than Eric Musselman's staff when I spent some time with them at Nevada. Not to say other staffs aren't great. Not to say Nate Oates and Rick Barnes and Chris Beard and Tony Bennett and Leonard Hamilton aren't great coaches. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is when I spent time at Nevada, I saw how that team prepares for games. They were actually getting ready for their season opener a few days later when I was there. Uh, I saw the way they do game planning, scouting reports, all that kind of stuff. And I have never been around a program that is that in-depth, that in-detail with everything that will go on in a game. And I think it showed on uh, on Wednesday night. you uh, Jimmy Dykes kept saying, you know, they're icing the ball screens. They're doing this. They're doing that. I'll leave the fancy terminology to Jimmy Dykes, who's a stud, who I'm trying to get on this podcast, by the way, but Jimmy Dykes is a stud. But I have never been around a coach and a coaching staff that is more detail-oriented, more focused, and it's probably not, shouldn't be a surprise, considering that he took Nevada uh, from the bottom of the, of the Mountain West to conference champion within two years and three straight NCAA tournaments before he left for Arkansas. And when he got hired at Arkansas, I told you he was going to do the same thing. And when I look at what he has done, what that coaching staff has done, you look at a guy that is an elite recruiter, uh, a guy that is a relentless recruiter, a guy that was ahead of schedule in terms of the transfer portal. I mean, he was recruiting transfers before it was cool to recruit transfers. As a matter of fact, I remember talking with one of his staff members about uh, why he recruited from the transfer portal, and I left the conversation wondering, why don't more teams do this? You get an older player, more experienced, college-ready, college-body, college-weight program away from home. You don't spend three years flying across country to watch him play AAU. I remember thinking at the time, I wonder why more programs don't do this. And now you look around college basketball, everybody's recruiting transfers. And so I bring all this up to say that this is what I expected. I expected top 25s. I expected a team that could compete for SEC championships in the regular season. I expected a coach that was going to recruit the transfer market hard. Well, guess what? Look at uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday night's game, excuse me, and look at the team that, that Arkansas put on the floor. Three of the five starters were transfers from other schools. Connor Vanover from Cal, Justin Smith, as I mentioned, from Ark, uh, from uh, Indiana, Jalen Tate from Northern Kentucky. On top of that, what I will give Coach Musk credit for was I did not know if he could recruit high school players at an elite level. Well, you know who some of the most impactful players have been for Arkansas this year? How about Moses Moody, who led the game with 24 points? Freshman, one and done, star from the state of Arkansas. Devo Davis, by the way, you can't jump on the Devo Davis bandwagon because I created the Devo Davis bandwagon. I got a list in the velvet rope. You can't get behind it without my approval. He's a starter for this team, and Jalen Williams had some big minutes on whatever it was, Wednesday night for this Arkansas Razorbacks team. And so when I look at this Arkansas deal, I'm telling you, man, this is not going to slow down. Now, are there going to be peaks and valleys? Are they going to be at, at this level every single year? I don't really know um, because, listen, sometimes with transfers it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the high school kids aren't going to be as readily available. Uh, as Jimmy Dykes said during the broadcast, which I thought was an incredible line, he said, you know, you go on a bad date with a bad guy or girl, it'll cost you 50 bucks and some ice cream. You get the wrong transfer in your program, it could cost you your entire season. 
But I bring that up to say that there's no guarantee that this thing works out as well every single year that by the end of February, Arkansas is in the top 15. But I think they're going to absolutely compete for NCAA tournaments. I, I said uh, when, when Coach Muss was hired, I, I thought Sweet 16s by year two, year three, and that is the way it's trending. I mean, again, you look at this team, you look at this program, and I see no reason to think that this is a team that if they get in as, say, a, a six seed, five seed, whatever it is, if they're a six seed and they're in the same region as, say, Virginia as a three seed, you mean to tell me they can't beat Virginia? You mean to tell me that if they're, say, a, a five seed and the four seed in their bracket is Texas Tech or somebody that they can't beat Texas Tech or that they can't beat Texas? Give me a break. Of course they can so that's the deal on Arkansas. I'm really excited about them. But I also do want to talk Alabama really quick because I don't – every time Alabama loses, I think people would say, oh, it's an indictment. You, you can't shoot as many threes as they do and win. Well, you know what? Yes, you can. Alabama's still awesome. I will readily admit they are not playing their best basketball right now. They struggled before this game against Vanderbilt in a game that they did win, but it was ugly. And they're not playing their best basketball. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to sit here and try to pretend like they are. But what I would also say is what I talked with Nate Oates about on this podcast a few weeks ago. They've had guys in and out of the lineup. They've had injuries. Jordan Bruner, who got hurt at Rupp Arena, just came back in the last few games. You can forgive him for not being 100%. And so what the deal is with Alabama is what I've always said, is that I believe that the most important thing for them is to get healthy and get right towards the end of the season because I truly believe that this is a team that can do real damage if they get in the tournament, but they got to get healthy. It's interesting. I go on all these radio shows, and I've been on in Tuscaloosa a few times with my buddy Ryan Fowler, who's been on this show. And Ryan always asked me, well, you know, what about a one seed? Can we get it? Forget a one seed. It doesn't matter. What matters is going into the tournament fully healthy and ready to go. And I think that's what's the most important thing for Alabama right now. I know that Nate Oates would have liked a situation where they could have clinched the regular season title on uh, on two on Wednesday night, not just because you win the regular season title, but I think he really wants to get some of his guys healthy. So I'm not going to sit here and overreact to Alabama, but they do need to get healthy because they are not playing their best basketball. But let me just say one last thing as it pertains to what I said a minute ago about this being the quote-unquote future of SEC basketball is that I did see something interesting on Wednesday morning that I thought was worth noting. And that was that uh, Nate Oates has signed an extension at Alabama and some of the details have come up. And so why am I talking about this? It's because a lot of Alabama fans have asked me, are we going to be able to keep this guy? And a lot of fans of other fan bases are starting to circle the wagons and say, well, wait a second now. If our coach retires here in the next few years, this is a guy that we want. And so I bring it up because the contract details came out about Nate Oates. He ain't going anywhere from Alabama for a while. If he gets... Uh, if he takes another job after the 2022 season, a buyout would include 11, almost $11 million, $10 plus million. So if you want to hire Nate Oates after the 2021-2022 season next year, forget this year, next year, 2021-2022, you would have to pay Alabama $11 million on top of hiring Nate Oates and probably having to significantly increase his salary, which is now like $3.8 million. And then after the 2022-2023 season, Nate Oates will be owed uh, about $8.5 million. And so you want to get Nate Oates after 2022-2023, you got to pay $8.5 million. I would mention that buyouts do go down after that, but 
if he's still winning the way he is right now, you better believe Alabama will probably sign him to another extension. So I bring it up because uh, it works both ways. One, Alabama fans have been worried about losing him. On the other side, there, you know, Kentucky fans are already saying he's our next guy. That's who we want. He's from Michigan, so I think Michigan State fans have kind of circled, hey, if Tom Izzo goes, you know, he wouldn't be the worst guy. So I bring it up because I'm just telling you right now, NATO ain't going anywhere. I think he's going to be at Alabama for the long haul. Eventually, down the road, could we see a scenario where maybe he considers somewhere else? Of course, but I don't think he's going anywhere for a while. But great game, great showcase for the SEC, and two teams that I'm really excited to watch in the NCAA tournament this year. All right, I do want to transition very quickly to the ACC because, as I said, it was kind of fascinating to watch a dynamic unfold on to Wednesday night. I keep saying Tuesday. It was Wednesday, but you get the point. It doesn't really matter what night it was, but on Wednesday night, and it was on the ACC Network, shout out to ACC Network, where you had two games back-to-back. And I thought it really showed where we are with ACC basketball, and what it showed me was this. There is one team that's good enough to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament and potentially be a Final Four team, and there's one team that ain't. The team that is is Florida State, and the team that ain't is Virginia. And so let's start with Virginia. They actually played the early game, and they played against NC State. And you guys know I'm a fan of NC State. I'm a fan of Kevin Keats. I've had him on this show multiple times. I think he's a really, really good coach. They have been uh, beleaguered by injuries this year. Their best player, Devon Daniels, is out for the season, or Devin Daniels. I don't even know how to pronounce the name. But I bring it up because NC State just went to Virginia and beat Virginia. And with the loss, it is now Virginia's third straight loss. I believe it's their first loss at home since like 2018 or something like that. And it's one of those deals where it has become very, very, very clear to me that we're just, we got to be out on Virginia, okay? I talked about being in on Arkansas. We got to be out on Virginia. And it pains me to say that, by the way, because if you guys are longtime listeners of this show, you know that I fell hard and fast for Tony Bennett in the 2019 NCAA tournament. I was out on Tony Bennett in 2018. 2019, I fell for him, though, that, that silver fox haircut that he's got. I just fell for him so hard. But I look at this team now, three straight losses. The first two, for the most part, are pretty excusable. You lose it at Florida State. Everybody loses at Florida State. You lose it Duke. Okay. You know, it's a game you probably should win if you're a national title contender or Final Four contender. But Duke's playing their best basketball. They got some real mojo without Jalen Johnson. But when I look at the loss to NC State, that's the one that I say, okay, if you're a real contender, you can't lose this one. On a two-game losing streak at home against NC State, a team without their best player, you simply cannot lose that game. And so I think reality is set in. Virginia's a fraud. They're a phony. They're a fake. They're not for real. And I will give, actually, my buddy Rob Douster some credit on this from the Field of 68 uh, podcast network. He's Rob comes on all the time, but Rob has been on this all season long, is that if you actually look at Virginia's resume, it really ain't all that impressive. Uh, Florida State's in first place in the league. Virginia got destroyed by them. Virginia Tech is in third place in the league. Virginia lost to them. Virginia got boat raced by Gonzaga early in the season. And you actually look at their resume, it's a little bit underwhelming. Three and four in quad one games. Losses at Duke. Uh, lost to FSU, as I said. And you look outside of them, and really the, the, the most impressive wins that they have right now are at home against Clemson. whoop de freaking do We're talking about Clemson. 
And then on top of that, a, ga a win against UNC when UNC was playing well but not at an elite level a few weeks ago. And I do think UNC is still a good team even though they lost to Marquette. But I bring it up because we're talking about a team that's 3-4 and four in quad one games, has really no great wins on their resume. So why exactly am I supposed to believe that Virginia is good? I think they're a little bit more dynamic offensively than maybe we, we've seen in the past, but they're not playing defense at the same level. I don't mean to criticize a college kid, but the kid Kihei Clark tries to do too much as a point guard, and I, and I feel bad. He's, he's a, a smart player, but he's just undersized. And I'm just telling you right now, this is not a team that is going to make a deep run. Remember about five, six, seven years ago, maybe less than that, three, four, when you saw Virginia as a one or a two seed and you could just pencil them in for losing on the first weekend? I think that's where we're at this year. I just look at, imagine if they get an Arkansas in round two. Imagine if they get an LSU in round two. Imagine if they get, um, you know, I'm just trying to think of teams off the top of my head that could be in that five, six, seven, eight seed range. I mean, even a team like my UConn Huskies, I mean, you know, UConn as a nine seed would terrify me if I was Virginia because of their size, toughness, and athleticism. But Virginia is not a contender. You know who is? How about my Florida State Seminoles? Leonard Hamilton, friend of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You go back and listen to that interview from last year. But Florida State, it was really interesting to watch Virginia lose and then Florida State come out immediately after. And I will readily admit Florida State was playing a bad Miami team whose best player was knocked out for the season. Um, but I bring this up to very simply say that when I look at Florida State, I see a team that can win it all. And it's really interesting, right? Because I had Sean Farnham on the podcast a few days ago. And I asked Sean, I said, how many teams do you think can legitimately win the national championship? And he said, you give me Baylor, Gonzaga, Michigan, and I give you the field, who you taking? And he was basically saying, those are the only three teams that I believe can win it all. And so I bring that up to just very simply say that I, I, I truly do believe um, that we have a circumstance unfolding with Florida State where they are playing themselves into the conversation as national title contender. Are they going to be able to beat Gonzaga and Baylor back-to-back -to, -back to win it all? I don't know. But you talk about Leonard Hamilton, a guy that for years has been on the cusp of competing at the highest level for a championship. This is another year where they can do it. This is the same team that we've always seen, size, depth, athleticism, skill, depth being the key word. They played 13 players on Wednesday night against uh, against Miami. But you look at this team, and I see a team that can absolutely make a deep run. And so uh, I just want to give Leonard Hamilton a little bit of credit. I don't think there's a ton to take out of a Miami game, but watching the Virginia and Florida State games back-to-back, -back, uh, I am just so, so, so impressed by, those, by that program and what they're capable of. And I'm also a little bit disappointed by Virginia at this point. All right, so I think that's it for uh, this top half of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Uh, again, coming up, Oklahoma State head coach Mike Boynton. Then on the back end, I will preview the rest of the weekend in college basketball. But before we get to all of that, specifically Coach Boynton, I do want to once again welcome in our new sponsor, Bracket Fanatics. Listen, guys, March is coming, and we're all going to be filling out a tournament bracket. But what is the most annoying part? Well, Besides when a 15 seed upsets your national champion in round one, it's the hassle of actually running the bracket pool. We all know how it goes. One guy wants to pay you next week. Another guy says he'll Venmo you in July. You're tallying points at 3 a.m. On and on and on and on and on. It's too much work running a bracket pool. 
That's why I'm glad to welcome in Bracket Fanatics as our sponsor. Bracket Fanatics and BracketFanatics.com is a true social networking app, and unlike those other loser, archaic, boring, outdated websites like Yahoo, once you log in and set your pool, it's all done. Everybody pays there. You can make side bets with your friends, talk smack, you name it, all in one place. And you don't need some weird email like a Yahoo email. You don't need to chase down Doris from accounting for her last $10. Log in, set the parameters, and then when the tournament is done, payments go straight to winners, and it's all in one place at BracketFanatics and BracketFanatics.com. On top of that, unlike those loser competitors that I just told you about, there are no banner ads, and BracketFanatics will not sell your information to advertisers. So basically, again, you go to BracketFanatics, you set the parameters, and you're done. No chasing anybody down, no tallying points, nothing like that. This is the perfect app for March, and to get started, this is what you need to do. Assemble your crew and get signed up at BracketFanatics.com. Make sure to use the promo code TORRES to win their $1,000 giveaway, which is awarded at the end of the tournament to the bracket with the most wins. Only those who use code TORRES will be entered. Once again, pull up your favorite browser. When you sign up, go to BracketFanatics.com. Use the code TORRES to win a $1,000 prize. All right. With that said, that is uh, it for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Uh, time to get to head coach Mike Boynton. And all I'll say really quick on Coach Boynton is this, is that I have been so impressed by how he has handled and run this Oklahoma State basketball program. As I mentioned off the top, we had him on in June when Oklahoma State was given a one-year postseason ban. I'm not going to relitigate the entire thing right now, but what I'll essentially tell you is I did not feel as though the punishment fit the crime. Based on what Oklahoma did, Oklahoma State did, excuse me, it should have been a slap on the wrist. This was not something that warranted a one-year postseason ban. And so I've been impressed with how he has kept this team focused, locked in winning games as they head into a mega, mega, mega last four games of the season. They're in position to make the NCAA tournament. And as of right now, the NCAA has not ruled on whether or not they will be punished this season. And so it appears as though Oklahoma State's going to be a tournament team. So what I really wanted to do is have Oklahoma State coach Mike Boynton on the show just to kind of get us updated where they're at, what they're planning for. Are they planning on going to the Big 12 tournament and then going straight to the NCAA tournament if they're picked? What's the deal? And tell us a little bit about this team, which is coming off a really, really impressive win. So here is Oklahoma State head coach Mike Boynton. All right, joining me via Zoom, uh, head coach Oklahoma State, we talked in the summer under less than ideal circumstances, but they feel much more upbeat and ideal right now. Coach Mike Boynton's on the phone via Zoom, whatever you want to say. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing great, Aaron. How are you, man? So I'm well. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie. I was doing some, uh, a deep dive, some research this morning, and I came across something. And it's very clear there's one question every Oklahoma State fan wants answered, so let's just get to it. You are on the committee to pick the new president of the school. Where are we at with that decision, and how quickly are we going to get an answer? People want to know, Coach. <laughs> I don't know if we have a – it's certainly not imminent, um, okay. but I, I feel blessed just to be a part of the process. It's obviously a highly, highly um, important position within the, the landscape of our university, and so I feel uh, very uh, fortunate to, to have a little bit of a – at least an ear. I don't know how much of a voice I have, but at least I have an ear in the room. Well, you keep coaching the way you're coaching. You guys keep playing the way you're playing. You might be a candidate for that job. But 
let's uh <laughs> let, let's focus on on the hoops you know and and in all seriousness i mean you know one of the reasons i want to have you back like i said when we spoke in the summer it was it wasn't a good spot and i know you you were doing a lot of interviews at that time but at that point you didn't have your players on campus we didn't know if Cade cunningham was going to choose some kind of alternative route to outside of oklahoma state and so we've come full circle and and obviously your team's playing incredibly well as we record here wednesday you're 15 and 6 coming off a great win over texas tech um you know we'll get into the season itself but but i am curious because every time i watch one of your games uh and anytime anybody listening watches one of your games there is talk about where are we at with this postseason process i mean what do you guys know as of today this second always subject to change but what do you guys know about your circumstances as it pertains to what's going on with the ncaa well unfortunately we don't know a whole lot more than the general public does um, we do know that the appeal is moving forward. We've got a team of, of people hailing that uh, behind the scenes and talking with the NCAA reps about what the process is going to look like here. And, you know, at this point, I guess today is February 24th. Um, yeah. Don't have a whole lot of clarity as to how it affects this year's Oklahoma State basketball team. So what we're doing is just focusing on the things that we do have control over, which is having good attitudes, showing up to practice every day, trying to get better, and then putting ourselves in a position that if we do get to a point where there's a decision going to be made about whether we're going to be selected or not, that we are not eligible, but that we're one of the teams that is deserving of a bid. And so to do that, you got to prepare well because we're playing against the best competition in the country uh, several times a week now, this time of year in the 12th. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, we were talking about your upcoming schedule and all that. Um, is it something it, because it's on every broadcast, right? And we have great people that cover the Big 12. Fran Frischill is a friend of mine. I mean, it, it's something that we in the media have to discuss. Obviously, your fans want to see you participate. Is it even a conversation in your guys building or is it simply like you said we got to take care of business so we can put ourselves in position so if we have the opportunity that we'll be a team worthy of consideration well the one thing we don't talk about is not playing in the tournament okay. so we talked about that back in the summer and we told the guys that there was a possibility that that could happen we wanted them if they were going to be returning to our program birth of returners and the guys who were coming in if they would continue to remain committed to the decision that that was a possibility. But once you get here, I'm not going to focus on it. We're going to focus on being our best. And we would like to certainly be participants in the NSA tournament. No question about it. Our team is capable of not only making the field, but winning games in the field in advance. And that's really what we'll focus on. It's just playing our best basketball as the calendar turns to March. And, you know, we are afforded the opportunity, proving our worth once we get in the field. And that's really all our focus is on a day-to-day basis. Very good. Well, you know, your team's been phenomenal. Uh, 15 and six overall. Uh, I looked it up. Uh, four of your six losses are by three points or less. Um, first of all, you ever just talk to the guys about, guys, can, can we just jump out to like a 14-2 start here? And like, like it, it, every game, it feels like I watch you guys come down to the wire. How much fun are you having uh, coaching this young group of guys? It's a blast. Um, got a really good group of guys, guys who are really invested in one another, first and foremost, and that really care about winning. And that's what makes the job enjoyable. Um, you know, those close games, they don't you know, make me feel any younger. 
Uh, I tell them all the time, hey guys, I'm cool with winning by 10. Like that's fine. Like every game doesn't have to be this barn burner down to the final second, overtime, you know, thrilling game. Sure it's exciting for our fans, especially if we end up winning, uh, but it doesn't help me in, in terms of my overall mental health. Do you, um, you know, you say you, you, you feel older with these wins. I saw you jump on that couch after the Texas Tech game. I mean, uh, was that one extra? I mean, it was overtime. Um, you know, they make a great play down the stretch. Uh, this is Monday night for people who don't remember. They make a great play. TJ Shannon has a great pass to, to force overtime. They're all important. They're all special. Did that one feel like it just felt like with, with your excitement, you could feel it watching you guys on TV and then the postgame locker room? Well, it felt like what it was, the gravity of the moment, a big game on Big Monday in the Big 12, two teams battling for positioning in the league. You know, we're right there, right on top of each other. Uh, I think we're like a game ahead of them now. And so to have that swoop over them is going to be significant as the standings uh, finish out. We both have a few games left to, to kind of decide exactly where we're finished. But there's no doubt that it was a huge game, not only for – uh, that night, but for implications within where the teams fall in the standings in terms of uh, conference tournament seating and potentially the NCAA tournament as well and where we'll be able to, to finish. So it certainly was a game, and I'm certainly glad that our players stepped up in the moment and made winning plays down the stretch. You know, you mentioned best best league in college basketball. Uh, this is no disrespect to anybody else, but, but take us in, night in and night out. And, you know, the one thing, too, I, I was also – I was watching – Something on Tuesday, I guess it was Texas, Kansas, and Jay Billis brought up this point, which I think is so important. You know, you guys see everybody twice in a season. This isn't, um, and this is, again, no disrespect, but like Michigan and Ohio State, they play this great game. It's not like now Michigan's got to come back and play Ohio State two weeks later. Again, no disrespect, nothing like that. But the challenge, you know, you talk about your league, the great coaches, Shaka Smart, Chris Beer, Bill Self's a Hall of Famer. I mean, what is it like, you know, I mean, you've been here three, four years now, but uh, every single night, Lon Kruger, Scott Drew, it's it's unbelievable to watch night in and night out. Yeah, the competition is great, and it starts because everybody has great players, and then everyone also has great coaches. Bruce Weber's coached in the national championship game. <laughs> yeah. Bill Self has won a national championship. Bob Huggins is going into the Hall of Fame very soon. Lon Kruger's going into the Hall of Fame very soon. Scott Drew's got the number one team or number two team in the country, depending on how you use them in Gonzaga. And so that's what we're up against every day. And the, the great challenge is you do see them twice and coaches do make adjustments and the environments are really, really good when there's not a pandemic going on. And so that's what makes the Big 12 just such a unique conference is that it is a true round robin every year. And, you know, I don't get to decide, you know what, I'm not going to go to, we don't, we don't have to go to Lawrence this year. Yeah, we got to go to Lawrence. <laughs> or we don't have to go to Lubbock this year. Yeah, we do have to go to Lubbock. And we got to go to Morgantown, Waco, and Norman. And, you know, it, it brings out the best of you. It, it certainly allows you to grow. Is that fun for you as a coach? I mean, competing against uh, the best that you're still a relatively young guy. Um, you know, we all want to put our wits or whatever term you want to use against the, the the smartest people in our profession. And like you said, you know, you get a chance, you play Bill Self, um, you know, and, and, and if he beats you, you get a chance to tweak and see what works. And then, you know, you guys had it. You guys did beat him earlier this year. 
is it pretty cool for you for that opportunity? Not to say that people don't have the same experience with you, but Bob Huggins, Hall of Famer, Lon Kruger, Hall of Famer, Bill Self, Hall of Famer. I got to imagine for still a relatively young guy like yourself, it, it, I feel like it'd be pretty cool. It is. It's. Uh, I feel blessed to, to be you know, on the same platform as these guys, being able to compete against them, because the truth is they all make me better. Uh, that competition, you know, if, if you're a real competitor, you want to be in the most competitive environment possible because it stretches you out. It, it makes you um, figure out ways to defeat them because at the end of the day, my job still is to win. And I've got to make sure that I'm doing the job and putting the time in that's going to give our team the best chance to have success when we compete against their teams. And you know, I feel first fortunate that our team has done it eight times in this league so far this year. And we got a few more opportunities out in front of us. You know, you talked about your team, um, that, who they are, all that stuff. Kind of a random question, but how proud are you of them? Not just because they're winning games, but this has been such a weird year. They're a young group of guys. They came, as you said, to campus this summer, not knowing what the future held for them. And it feels like they have taken your mantra of one game at a time, uh, not look ahead. Don't worry about who we're playing a month from now or where we'll be playing or if we'll be playing. How proud are you of these guys just for how they've handled everything this year? Well, I'm first of all thankful for them. Uh, I'm thankful for their spirit, for their commitment, uh, for valuing the same things that I value and for caring enough about me and this program to stick with it through uh, a time where it would have been very justifiable for them to say, you know what, I'm going to do something else. And, and then I'm proud of the way they've come together and been able to compete with one another and have a singular mindset of wanting to win and wanting to win at the highest level that they possibly can. And for the most part, we've had a lot of success so far this season. I look forward to seeing what the story ends for this group. And it really does start in recruiting, right? I mean, you know, you, you talked in the summer about identifying guys that fit what you guys want to do. Um, and the I just feel like the fact that I know one player did decide to leave and everybody's allowed to make their own decision. But I feel like that starts with, with recruiting and the kind of guys you want to bring in your program, things like that. No question. You got to have guys who are bought in to deal with some tough times occasionally. And if they're completely bought in, it's harder to get them to fracture, you know, when the wind gets rough or the, you know, the seas get a little choppy, uh, that they want to buckle down and band together and do this with each other. And that was really the message that was sent by them to each other over the summer is, you know, let's go do the best we can as a group. Don't worry about the expectations from the outside or the noise. Uh, and they've had a lot of fun doing it. You know, we've obviously had some disruptions like everybody has. It's been a weird season going through this pandemic. But I've really, really enjoyed this group as about as much as I've enjoyed any group I've coached. Well, and, and something that stuck out to me when I was watching your game against Texas Tech, I mean, obviously, we all assume that, that Cade Cunningham is going to go on to the NBA after this season. I feel like just about everybody else can potentially be back next season. I mean, how I, we never know it's college basketball, transfer portal, all that stuff. We get it. But how excited is it the possibility that this could be not just a six month run, but a two, three year run with these group of guys? You know, that's, that's what really gets me excited is, and trust me, I, I do almost anything to coach Kate another year. <laughs> uh, but the truth is, he's very likely to go on to the next phase of his career here in a couple of months. And I'm excited for him. And I'm glad that I was able to coach him while I was, but we've got a lot of guys, as you said, 
who will return next year, who will have the opportunity to continue on what we built this year and to cement their legacy as Oklahoma State Cowboys. Um, 70 of our 74 points on Monday night against Texas Tech were scored by freshmen or sophomores. Wow. Now, Kate scored 20 of that, but that means 50 of it was scored by other freshmen or sophomores, not named Cade. Sure. And, you know, that, that to, to continue to go out there and put other guys in place like him or close to his level uh, will give us a chance to, you know, you wanting to have Mike Boyden from Oklahoma State on your radio show because we're going to be nationally relevant. Well, 100%. And, you know, I will say I was thinking about this, too. Um, Sean Farnham was on with me on Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever. Um, and he mentioned that that he talked to Cade, I think, for the ESPN show. And Cade said, you know, coming to Oklahoma State was was the best decision that he ever made and all that kind of stuff. I know you don't want to speak for him, but I was thinking, you know, th this G League, we're now starting to see what it looks like, all that. And, and every kid has to make the decision that's best for them. Um, you know, if you are in the home in the future of, of a kid like a Cade Cunningham that has the opportunity to take that professional route versus what do you think that college has done for Cade or, or Oklahoma State has done for Cade or whatever, uh, because the, the G League is a great option for some Oklahoma State seems to have worked out for Cade. Uh, and I'm just curious because there's going to be a lot of coaches that are going to have to have those sorts of conversations over these next few years. I think the one thing it has done for, for me, for Oklahoma State, is it's given us a blueprint. It's given us an opportunity to go out and show now, hey, we understand these are all the options, but here's one that's a little bit different that can be just as effective, efficient, and impactful. And, you know, Cade's on TV is about as much as Oprah Winfrey right now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that guy's a rock star. And yep. deservedly so, he's incredibly talented but he's been provided a platform here to showcase what he can do and playing on, you know, he's, we've been on big Monday, I think five times this year, right? There's not a whole lot of games on Monday. Those are selected games for a reason. And Oklahoma state's been in the forefront of that. And so the next guy that comes through is going to understand we can provide that platform, uh, that exposure at the highest level of competition. If you wanted to do it through an educational setting, which is what we feel like we provide uh, one of the best of the country for. Yeah, it was really funny. I was on the phone with a friend of a high school player in 2021 on uh, Monday or Tuesday night. And, you know, he was doing the, the, all that stuff. And I said, look, man, it's not a bad deal. I, like you said, Kate is Kate has been on TV an awful lot this year and whatever. Every kid's got to make his own decision. Anyway. All right. Two quick questions uh, and we'll get you out of here. The, the first is I just want to ask you about Baylor. I mean, we talk about all the great teams, all the great competitors, but this is a team that, they're doing stuff, and I don't know that anybody has ever done in Big 12 play through however many games we're through. You've had a chance to line up with them. Scott Drew, you know, you're going to have a chance again in a few weeks. I was just curious from your perspective. We all get to watch them on TV. What stands out to you when you're actually matching up against this team that up until Tuesday night had steamrolled everybody that they had played this year? Well, they're incredibly well connected as a group, um, and it's something that we're striving for. And part of it is they've got continuity in their roster. They've got a bunch of guys who've played a lot of college basketball together. And that together part is even another level of that stability that provides them a little more understanding of what it takes when things get a little tough, like they did last night against Iowa State late, you know? And it wasn't Macy O'Neill or Davian Mitchell or Garrett Butler. It was Adam Flagler. 
And people say he's a newcomer. Well, Adam Flagler was in their program last year, sitting out, going to practices every day against those guys, understanding what it takes to help Baylor basketball have success. And that continuity and roster and those guys understanding each other allows them the freedom to say, hey, Teague doesn't have it tonight. Adam's coming off the bench. He's got it going. Teague accepts that. He doesn't fight it. It's not about him. It's about the whole. When they have success, as you see, everybody's going to get you know, the accolades. I would imagine Scott Drew's going to win several Coach of the Year awards. I would imagine Jared Butler's going to be on a lot of All-American lists and David Mitchell and Mark Vidal going to be on a lot of all-defensive player lists. But it's because they've had success as a team. Fantastic. You know, last question. I, I just want for fans that maybe are, you know, didn't understand the beginning of the conversation. I just want to reiterate uh, next few weeks, you know, the, the big 12, you guys got a, a full plate, uh, you know, full load on your hands here coming up to finish out the regular season. But I just want to clarify plan is we're packing to go to KC to play in the big 12 tournament. And then God willing, if we're one of the 68 teams, like we're planning on, on being in this NCAA tournament, if our resume dictates we're a tournament team. So my focus right now is on getting ready for our battle sure. game. Yep. But once we have to hit the road next week, I plan on packing for about a month. Okay. My, my goal is to stay on the road, uh, play two games to end the regular season. I think we're scheduled to go to Waco and to go to Morgantown, maybe have to go to Kansas City from one of those places, and then maybe have to go to Indianapolis and be participants in the NCAA tournament from Kansas City. And I'm excited about what this team has done already. But I'm even more excited about what I think we can do to finish the season because I think we're one of the teams that has continued to get better as we've gone through. And I, I just can't wait to see what the final product looks like. No, I agree. You guys have been so fun to watch. A lot of close games, but they've been fun games to watch, you know, whatever. But, uh, 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 and I know they've been fun to coach too. Uh, Mike Boynton, head coach, Oklahoma State. Man, dude, I know you're so busy, especially this time, like, eight games and nine days coming up or whatever you got, man, dude, I appreciate you making some time. I genuinely do. I know how crazy it is this time of year. So thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me, Aaron. I really appreciate your platform. All right, really fun interview. First of all, I want to thank Coach Boynton, but really fun interview with him. Um, and look, I, I you know, I, I said it leading into the interview, but I have been so impressed by this guy and how he has handled this program this season. Not going to relitigate the whole thing, but as I said to lead into the interview, I really do believe that that the punishment didn't really fit the crime when it came to Oklahoma State being punished for the NCAA rules violations and receiving a one-year postseason ban based on what they did. And so for this guy to keep this team locked in, to keep them playing well, uh, I just I, I hope we get a scenario where they're able to play in the NCAA tournament because I think they're one of the 68 best teams. Obviously, people want to see Cade Cunningham. Uh, and I'm just genuinely happy for that program that those kids will get the opportunity to compete for an NCAA tournament, knock on wood, that the NCAA doesn't come down uh, on them down the home stretch here. But excited for Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State actually nicely leads into what I want to talk about now. And that is that we have a loaded weekend slate here in College Hoops. And it's, 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 it's actually kind of interesting. This is something I haven't talked about, but what's been interesting all these conferences have taken a different approach to how they are handling rescheduling games. Some, like the Big East, I think are essentially saying, we're not rescheduling nothing. 
Uh, the SEC, we're still waiting to hear. But then you have conferences like the Big Ten and the Big 12 that are basically loading up their schedules and basically saying, we're playing as many games as we can before these conference tournaments. And I bring it up because I was talking to Coach Boynton a little bit about it uh, before we started recording. They have an insane schedule where I believe they play three straight on the road to end the year. Um, but you look at some of these schedules over the next week or so, and we're going to get just some some absolute craziness. Michigan, the number three team in the country, has five games between now and next Sunday. Starting on Thursday night, they play Iowa at home, which is going to be a really fun game. We'll talk about it in a minute. They play at Indiana. They play Illinois. And how about this? Two different games against their rival Michigan State to close the season. So that'll be fun. Michigan State actually plays Ohio State on Thursday night, and then they have two games against Michigan, so it doesn't get any easier. Uh, you know, in the Big 12, how about this? Baylor. At Kansas, at West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech at home. So we have so many games coming up in the next week or two that are just really high-quality games. It's going to be really fun. And I personally give credit to the leagues for trying to get the games in. I think it's good for the sport. I do understand the coaches and players that are like, dude, do you really want us flying all over the country in the middle of a, a, a situation where we're supposed to be avoiding COVID? I don't know what the answer is, but selfishly as a fan, I'm excited to watch these games. Let's start with Thursday night really quick. All I'll say is this. The game of the night is Iowa-Michigan. Iowa is a top 10 team. They are playing very well, frankly playing probably their best basketball of the season of late they have won four straight you know this is a program that has traditionally faded under Fran McCaffrey late and I think they could give Michigan a game now some of you are going to be listening on Friday and I may look really 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 stupid by then but when I look at Iowa they are a team that can score quickly score often and the thing that Michigan does better than anybody they have size and physicality that overwhelms people, and I don't think Iowa is going to be overwhelmed by it. I think Iowa is one of the few teams that physically can match up with Michigan, and so I think it's just going to be a really fun game. I probably still lean Michigan to win, but I do think it's competitive. I, I think Iowa is back in that mix of they're going to be a two-seed, a three-seed that can make a real, real, real run in the NCAA tournament, starting to play better here over the last couple weeks. Uh, in addition... Also Thursday night, Michigan State at Ohio State. Um, very interesting matchup because Michigan State, of course, is coming off this incredible win. We talked a, bit, a little bit about it on Wednesday's show, but they, they come off their best win in the season against Illinois, and this is a team now that all of a sudden is interesting. Now, I don't think they're going to beat Ohio State because Ohio State is a really, really, really good team, um, but you talk about a team that is trending in the right direction, uh, they play well at home. I do think this is competitive. I mean, you look at you know what the Vegas odds are, and I see a scenario where it's only a four-and-a-half-point spread. I think Michigan State keeps it close. I think they keep it competitive. I wouldn't be surprised if they pulled off the upset, in which case we're now talking about Michigan State as a very interesting bubble team coming off that win. So that's another fun game. How about credit to somebody? I crushed Houston for ducking Gonzaga, and they did duck Gonzaga a few weeks ago, and they should have been crushed. But they went out and scheduled Western Kentucky with Charles Bassey. This is a huge game for Western Kentucky. This is a mega, mega, mega game uh, because of the fact that Western Kentucky needs quality wins, and I think if Western Kentucky could win this, it would push them from 
outside of the bubble picture to very much in the bubble picture coming into this game, you look at Western Kentucky, one, I just think they're a dangerous team. I don't know to me why they're not a serious bubble team. I hate that we only use metrics instead of eye test, but Western Kentucky 15-4 and four overall easily could have beaten uh, West, West, West Virginia when they played them, did beat Memphis, uh, did beat Alabama, by the way. So you look at a team that has some really good wins on their schedule. Western Kentucky is that team. Really excited to watch them play Houston. Final one from uh, Thursday night. Well, two, really. First of all, Pac-12. USC Colorado. USC is really good, but this is another one. They are physical. They are athletic. They are tough down low, and Colorado does create some matchup problems for USC, so I'll be curious how they handle that. Um, and then in the, the Mountain West, first place versus second place, these are two NCAA tournament teams, Boise State versus San Diego State, super athletic, super skilled, two teams that I think can win a game or two in the NCAA tournament. Not a ton on Friday slate, so let's go to Saturday loaded Saturday slate. Uh, start with Michigan. They play at Indiana. Obviously, we don't know a ton about Michigan right now because they still have a game to play before they play this one. So they will play Thursday night and then immediately go to Indiana and play Saturday morning. But Indiana, look, man, Indiana's 12 and 11. You guys know I'm an Archie Miller guy. I like the guy. I think he's a good coach, but I don't think there's an excuse for what's going on with Indiana. They lose at Rutgers on on uh, Wednesday, which, listen, I get it. It happens. You lose conference games. But they are now 12-11 and 11 overall. They've lost three of their last four. How about this first step? Have not won more than two straight games all year. Even Kentucky is on a three-game winning streak right now. And so Indiana needs this win. Indiana ain't getting this win. But I think it'll be a fun, uh, interesting matchups. Also on Saturday, really excited. First of all, LSU-Arkansas. Arkansas obviously coming off the Alabama game that we just talked about needs to keep the momentum going and I'll tell you this LSU is going to be tough competition LSU is a hot and cold they play up for good teams they play down for bad teams they just lost to Georgia I think they come in locked in ready to go ready to be focused uh, for Saturday also Saturday Illinois Wisconsin as I'm recording here I just saw the news that Io DeSumo may have broken his nose don't know if he'll play on Thursday night but I would suspect that he will play on Saturday against Wisconsin with a mask uh, on, but it'll be a really, really interesting, interesting, interesting game there. Looking across the rest of the schedule, again, a lot of fun games, man. Florida State, UNC. Florida State traditionally very good at home, not as good on the road, but this is the best team. I think actually you can make a legitimate case these are the two best teams in the ACC. I know North Carolina is coming off a loss to Marquette. I really don't care. I think North Carolina is going to be really good and really dangerous when they get into a tournament setting. Also Saturday, Florida, Kentucky. We know what's at stake. Florida trying to get that double buy in the SEC tournament. Kentucky needs to keep building momentum heading into Nashville. Uh, there really isn't much of a scenario where if Kentucky doesn't win the SEC tournament that they will go to the NCAA tournament. But I don't think it's inconceivable with the way they're playing with the fact that they've already beaten Florida, already beaten LSU, already beaten Tennessee. This is a team that's trending in the right direction. I think having a few days off was good. Louisville at Duke, interesting one. Remember, never forget, the famous Coach K screaming, not screaming, but maybe scolding the student reporter happened after the Louisville game. That was a close, hard-fought game. The first time these two teams played, Duke playing better. Louisville, we still don't know what we're going to get from them. And finally, Baylor, Kansas. Baylor coming off that second COVID pause. They looked a little flat against Iowa State. Very curious to see how they play. 
And that is all for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. There's other games, but you know what? You've just gotten an hour of Torres. Um, you, you, you know, you, you've gotten enough of Torres. It's time to get out of here. So let's get out of here. Before I do, I want to remind everybody, please make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are, in fact, subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure that you are following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Uh, make sure you're following on YouTube uh, as well as Facebook. And I know I've mentioned a few times, if you do want to advertise like our friends at Bracket, uh, uh, Bracket Fanatics, uh, make sure to uh, hit me up and we will get you all set up. Again, uh, by the way, I should mention BracketFanatics.com for a second time. Use promo code TORS to be entered to win $1,000. But that is all for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I will be back on Monday when it is officially March. <laughs>